Thanks. Robin Myers wrote a little book called The Underground Church. Now, you wouldn't agree with everything in the book. I don't agree with everything in the book. Um, but I read things like that. You can too. We can read discerningly. Don't you agree? Um, and find nuggets of God's truth in things. And he wrote these words. Um, if we have those. Um, he wrote these words. You can read them with me or you can look them as I read them. He said, if you ask a Christian today about his faith, his response will be to tell you what he believes. If you ask a Christian today about her witness, she will describe her efforts to persuade others to believe what she already believes. Giving intellectual assent to theological propositions is easy and intoxicating, but it changes nothing. Just say that with me. But it changes nothing. Becoming a visible disciple, in contrast, can be dangerous. It's been a lot of years now ago. It was in Des Moines, Iowa, at a pastor's conference um, where I first met um, um, Bill Willimon. Um, some of you are familiar with that name. He's a preacher. He was a chaplain at Duke University. Still is, I think, for years and years and years and years. He's one of my favorite preachers to read um, and to think about. And he told a little story, and Easter's coming up, and it reminded me of the story. Easter's just a few weeks away, and it reminded me of the story. And you may have heard the story, and here it is. It's about a, it's about a preacher. His name was Will Campbell, and an old backwoods farmer named P.D., and they met one day, and P.D. looked at the preacher, Will, and he said, you know, preacher Will, that Jesus in that church of yours reminds me of an Easter chicken we had one time. Bought it down at the grocery store. It was dyed deep purple. My little Karen loved it. That made her happy. Made me happy, okay? I said, okay. He said, well, we had that thing for a little while, and all of a sudden, it started sprouting these little feathers out from underneath all that purple, just little pin feathers and like, you know. And that, that chicken, that blame thing, it wasn't purple at all. I thought it's reminding that white was the liturgical color for Easter, but I thought it would let him go on. He said, pretty soon my little Karen couldn't stand that chicken. So we took that chicken and we threw it out in the roost with all the other chickens. It was different, you know, even before all those pin feathers were grown off. It was different. Them other chickens know it was different too. Why, it'd run around and it'd knock away those other chickens to get a little crumb before they got to it. It'd peck heck out of the ones littler than it. It was different. It knowed it was different and they knowed it was different. And pretty soon, them chickens wouldn't have nothing to do with that chicken. Poor little thing really suffered too. I said, well, I think I know what you're driving at, P.D. And he said, oh, no, 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 preacher, will you? Well, any such thing. I ain't got to my point yet. I said, well, rave on, P.D. He said, well, for long, that little chicken got kind of lonely. I mean, none of those chickens have anything to do with it. And for long, you know what happened, preacher, will? That little chicken started acting just like all the other little chickens. Pretty soon, you couldn't tell one from the other. They were all just alike. There wasn't a darn thing different about them. Easter chicken was just one more chicken. I said, well, I knew he wanted an argument, so I thought I'd give him one. I said, well, PD, you do know, Easter chicken's still useful. Lays eggs. It was just what he wanted me to say. He said, well, yeah, preacher will. It lays eggs. 
But they all lay eggs. Who needs an Easter chicken for that? With that in mind, let's pray together. Sometimes I can pose a prayer for a congregation and we just share it together. And I invite you to do that with me this morning. We're going to put it up on the screen. And I invite you just to audibly pray this prayer with me as we begin. God of purity and holiness, You have called us out of our daily routine of life and our engagement with the everyday patterns of life around us to restore us to the life that is truly life and available only through the power of Your Spirit. For an inbreaking of that Spirit, we plead in these moments. Forgive us for any places we settle where our hearts are divided, any ways that we walk and our devotion is diminished, any paths we follow that reveal an allegiance that is not solely grounded in You and You alone. Forgive us and restore us. Grant us hearts humbled to receive Your truth about ourselves, Hearts open to receive the life that is found uniquely in You. Hearts challenged to experience the life of Your Spirit flowing through us. Hearts courageous enough to give living and visible testimony to a life that is patterned according to the imitation of Your Son, Jesus. Grant us this until that time when Your will is done on earth as it is in heaven and the supremacy of Christ is revealed in all things. Hold us tightly in Your grip, we pray. Amen. All God's people said. Amen. Well, I want to give you a little test today. It's just a two-question test. It's not a hard test. I think we'll all be able to do it well enough. And here it is. Sitting here in this sanctuary as we are, would you say that we're inside or outside? Now, in a few moments, how long I'm going to preach? An hour or so, we're going to walk through those doors from here. And will we then be inside or outside? Well, if you said that now we're inside and then we'll be outside, of course, you'd be correct, at least from a spatial perspective. And I'd answer the same. But as the church, and from a kingdom perspective, perhaps we would be wrong. It was somewhat of a trick question, I know. But hear me for a moment. For from the perspective of the challenge that's issued us from a simple little parable that invites our attention, it could be that to be inside the church house is to be outside. And to be in the world that surrounds the church house is to be inside. Hang with me. From the perspective of the challenge before us this morning from the prayer of Jesus in John 17, in intercession for the disciples, to be anywhere cloistered within the safety of our community of the faith, to be anywhere within the safety of the walls that protect our theological certainties and the familiarity of our traditions, to be in the comfort of our like-mindedness and the sweet fellowship of friends and family, that's to be outside. Whereas, to be among those for whom the church house is just another building, to be among those whom theologies are myth, our theologies are myth and fantasy and traditions peculiar and foreign, among those who challenge our perspectives 
and are seen to be most tramping along the paths of all that we find disreputable and annoying and ungodly, to be among those who run counter to all that we upstanding followers know to be the way and the truth and the life, maybe that's to be inside. I'm going to suggest today that for we who call ourselves Christ ones, the church house is outside. Just say that with me. The church house is outside and the world is inside. This is the text for this morning. Just read it with me. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. Some years ago, Bill Gaither, I mean, have you heard that name? Pretty popular, just up the word hill here a little bit. Um, I was so, so disappointed when they closed down the coffee shop. That was a great place for lunch and all other kinds of things. But some years ago, or some time ago, he wrote a little lyric, and it began with these words. Do you remember it? Let the church be the church. The question before us this morning is this. What does it look like when the church is the church? Now, John 17, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you certainly can. I'll put words up here on the screen in a moment. John 17, verses 14 through 18, and then we'll look a little further along than that, um, gives us these words. I want you to pay close attention. I'm kind of a participating kind of person, so I'm going to ask you to read and participate with me a little bit, all right? I think keep it in our head better that way. Here we go. Here's how it starts. He says, I have given them, who? The disciples. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Why? Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Again, two verses later, um, his words are repeated. They are not of the world, even as I am not there's a repeated theme flowing here through Jesus' words. And that's this. They are not of the world. Who's not of the world? The disciples. Followers of Jesus. They are not of the world. Now what is the world? Let me give you a quick definition. I just kind of made this up and hope it's close. Um, didn't read a book for it. I just think this is true. Here it is. The world is that prevailing system or worldview or culture of values and guiding principles that define the lives of those who are motivated more by interest of self and the kingdom of man than the heart of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now here's the theme again. They are not of the world. Not so with disciples. With those who are followers of Jesus. They're not of the world. Now Jesus' prayer is just getting traction. Hang on. I've given them the word. The world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Therefore, I do not ask that you, what? Take them out of the world, but that you protect them. I do not ask that you take them, the church disciples, out of the world. Are you still with me, church? Listen, life in the kingdom is not to be lived separated from the world. Say that with me. Life in the kingdom is not to be lived separated from the world. Withdrawn into the isolated cloister of those who gather in a church house or the Bible study or a prayer closet. The life of the kingdom was not meant to be lived in cloisters, in monasteries, and convents. Are you getting me? Now, that's not intended to be an indictment of the ancient traditions or those who consider themselves to be contemplatives. 
I've learned much from the church and much to be learned for all of us from the spiritual formation and um, transformation from those ancient ways. But here it is. Life in the kingdom is not to be lived separated from the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world. They are not of the world, but I don't ask that you take them out of the world. Rather, as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. When are we inside? When we're in the world. Inside the world. Life in the kingdom is to be lived in the world. To be in the world, but not of it. Now this is important, because there's a difference between being in the world and being of the world. How many of you know that? The church is most authentically the church fulfilling the leavening purposes of the kingdom when it is where? In the world. But equally, the church will never fulfill the leavening purposes of the kingdom if it is of the world. Now, are we good church so far? So Jesus prays. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but rather I pray that you protect them from the evil one. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Now, I know I'm belaboring this, but I want to continue with it for a few moments because we've got we to be sure we get this. To be of the world is to be under the influence of the evil one. The one who seeks to do what? To destroy the work of God by diminishing the influence and distracting the focus of the church. That's important. Distracting the focus of the church. Those who are called to be in the way. Listen, to be under the influence of the evil one isn't just to commit mortal sins and moral indiscretions. It is to be under the influence of one who seeks to diminish the witness and distract the focus of the church. To be of the world, of the world, is to be subverted by the version of life and reality that's promoted and promulgated by the world. That's to be under the influence of evil. And we are called not to be of the world. Therefore, Jesus pleads with the Father. What's he say? Sanctify, you're good Westerners, you should know that word. Sanctify them by your truth. Listen. This is the reason we come away. This is the reason we come into the church house. This is the reason we enter into Bible study. This is the reason that we enter into seasons of contemplation and prayer. What is the reason? We draw into those with the company of other men and women who are pursuing Jesus into the gathered community of worshipers, the God-obsessed pursuers of the kingdom, seekers of His rule and reign in their lives. We come away so that we might not be of the world when we're in the world. Just say that with me. We come away so we won't be of the world when we're in the world. If we do not come away, if we don't ever come away, we are prone to be like that frog in the kettle that George Barna talked about in his book by the same title. Do you remember? He wasn't the first to use the metaphor. He's not the last to use the metaphor. But he used the metaphor. Do you remember the little frog? The frog's placed in this kettle of tepid water. It's most comfortable. It's not afraid. And gradually they turn the heat up, little by little. The heat of the water's increased. The change becomes imperceptible. Until the frog 
at last is boiled to death. And there he is. He didn't even realize what's happening. Until his life had been cooked. Just say that with me. His life had been cooked. Cooked right out of him. Beware, church. Lest the life of the Spirit, that which is truly life, real life, is cooked right out of us by virtue of our immersion in the world. The story is told of two young fish that are swimming along, swimming through the stream, and an older fish is coming the other direction. It meets them halfway, but they're about or in the water somewhere, and they cross paths, and the older fish is up and says, Hey, young fellas, how you doing? How's the water today? You know, and just swims on by, and they keep swimming a few minutes. They look at either the other, just kind of look at each other, kind of puzzled. One looks at the other, and one finally says, What the heck is water? <laughs> Listen. It happens almost imperceptibly until we can't really tell the difference between who we are as followers and who the world has formed us to be. Not only our practice, but our theology changes as well. And then it conforms our practice. It transforms our practice. Immersion in the world can be dangerous. Say that with me. Immersion in the world can be dangerous. You're going to walk out of this place in a few moments and reimmerse yourself in the world. You're going to spend five, six days this week immersed in the world. Some of you are going to come away for a short time of a Bible study or for times of contemplation and prayer. You're going to come back into the sanctuary next week. And the rest of the time, you're going to be immersed in the world. Immersion in the world is dangerous. Say it with me again. Immersion in the world is dangerous if we're not disciplined to come away to prioritize the spiritual disciplines of being set apart, of finding protection from the evil one and donning the armor of the Spirit, the word of truth, righteousness, faith. If discerning the way of Jesus is not a priority, by the Spirit, in the community of faith, of pumping courage into one another by prayer and fellowship. It's the greatest definition I know of encouragement. Pumping courage into one another. We must come away to stay kingdom-oriented and kingdom-focused. So the question is, so why don't we just come away and stay away? If we want to stay kingdom-focused and pure, why don't we just come away and stay away? You know Christian groups have done that throughout history. We simply separate ourselves in the world. I come from a tradition where a large part of the tradition said we're just going to separate ourselves, form our own communities. We're just going to come away and stay away. Here's why. That's not good. Listen to me very carefully. To come away cloistered within the holy huddle, this is not the natural habitat of the church. Here we go. Say it with me. The natural habitat of the church is in the world. That is the arena. That is the environment of our mission, our purpose, our life. It is not here. Now the reason why. Jesus continues in the next verse. I do not ask for these only. Who? Church? Disciples? But also for those who will believe me through their message. The church is in the world for the world. On behalf of the world. For the benefit of the world. Go into all the world and make disciples. The natural habitat of the church is where? In the world. So why do we come here? 
Why do we gather and worship? We've already said it. I'm belaboring the point, I know. But let me give you this. If you take this, it's one of the two things you need to get today. So if you get this and write this down and go to sleep until I wake you up again for the next point, you'll be good for the day. Here it is. The church comes away to, for a time and for a season, so as to gain a kingdom look at the world, in other words, to sustain their kingdom identity, and then go back into the world, but not be of the world, so that she can effectively be for the world. Isn't that great? Just say it with me one more time. The church comes away to step outside the world so as to gain a kingdom look at the world and then go back into the world but not be of the world so that she can effectively be for the world. The church is in the world but not of the world so that it can be an effective agent of transformation for the world. Okay? We're just about done with the introduction. The church must always have this consuming passion to know God deeply. Say that with me. To know God deeply. And the fellowship of the saints powerfully. To have the heart aligned with the very heart of God. That must be our passion. That is why we come apart. But the church, the disciple, will never reach maturity in the things of God in her apartness. Say again. The church will never reach maturity in the things of God in her apartness. We belabored this point to emphasize this, that the power... Go ahead, I think it's the next slide. I believe this. The power of the Spirit of God is energized in the church when she finds her purpose in the world effectively. We come apart so that we can be effective in the world by not being of the world. For the kingdom of heaven is like... Remember the text? The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Leaven. How many are familiar with the word? It's not an unfamiliar word in the text of Scripture. But one in the ancient mind as to imply or carry a negative effect. It was always a contaminating influence in the ancient text. The feast of God's Passover was not a feast of the leavened bread, but of the unleavened bread. A feast of no contamination in the purity of the sacrifice. A feast of no contamination. Leaven changes things. It changes the essential nature of things. Paul speaks of the contaminating influence of leaven in 1 Corinthians 5. You remember there was some sexual immorality. The guy's sexual immorality in the church. American Standard translates it literally this way. So don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? So clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. You are in fact unleavened. That's an interesting phrase. You are sanctified we put church words on it, you are pure of that which would contaminate your kingdom life and witness. This is who you are, Paul says. If you are the church, you are set apart. If you are the church, you are 
pure of that which contaminate the kingdom life and witness. This is who you are. This is who you're intended to be. Just say that. This is who we're intended to be. This is who we're intended to be. Now, this is important if you're to be effectively in the world. The Living Translation has living, New Living Translation talks about it a little more fully. It says, don't you realize that his sin, the immoral one among them, is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch. Therefore, be careful. Get rid of that old yeast. Then you will become a fresh batch of dough. What's happening here? What's Paul's concern? Paul's concern is the world is getting into the church. And they're in danger of becoming of the world. This does not mean we only let people, perfect people, into the church. That would be fully against Jesus' mission in His heart. It does mean this. Be careful, church. For we are being the church of the unleavened, uncontaminated in the purposes of God. Be cautious, church, that we do not become of the world. For if we're of the world, we will never be in the world effectively. It's the danger that lurks for the world. The contaminating influence of the yeast of the world. Now, in our text, Jesus gives us a positive spin on leaven, doesn't he? A more redemptive purpose for leaven. In a similar way as the Paul text, it's this. So to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like... Say it with me. It's like leaven. It's like leaven, which is introduced into the world with the power to change things. This is the subversive nature of the kingdom. Here's reality. Here's the reality. Either the church will be a subversive element in the world, or the church will be subverted by the world. Just say that with me. Either the church will be a subversive element in the world, or it will be subverted by the world. And the difference is being in but not of, or being of while being in. <laughs> so, I've been asking this since I was in seminary, and for generations and hundreds of years before that, when we ask where the power of the early church went, how many of you know the early church was powerful? We must ask this critical question. And here it is. Has the church succumbed to the leavening effect of the world such that it has become of the world? The nature of the kingdom is subversive. Subversion. Subversion. To provide, to carry another version of life rather than the prevailing version. Sub. Not lesser, but rather a version that's substituted for the prevailing version. Here's what I want to tell you. Here's what it is. Subversion. It's to introduce a contrasting or counter version of life into the prevailing version of life that's being lived out. That's what the church does. It's leaven. That's why the nature of the kingdom is subversive. We offer a different version of life into the prevailing version of life that is already there. I believe it was Don Crable who wrote the little volume, The Upside Down Kingdom. Have you ever seen it or read it? Here was his basic, I think his basic premise. I venture to risk at oversimplifying. 
but here's what I think it was. It's if you simply take the prevailing values of the prevailing culture and turn them upside down, you might have something close to the kingdom. If you simply take the prevailing values of the prevailing culture and turn them upside down, you might have something close to the kingdom. And if that's close to be true, being true, then what the church brings to the table is a counter version of life. What Paul Ricoeur calls the word that redescribes the world. If the nature of the kingdom is to bring a contrasting or counter version of life into the prevailing version, could it be that it is in living out and proclaiming this radical gospel that the church loosens the power of the kingdom in the world? Now here's my fear. Here's my fear. That either the church has been so intent on keeping itself pure that it's cloistered itself in its holy huddles and no longer engages the world, in which case it's removed itself from the natural habitat in which it thrives, or the church has found harmony with the world by succumbing to the contaminating influence of becoming of the world, in which case it, tra- it forfeits its transforming purpose. Either way, the church has ceased to be the church. Now, to where the rubber hits the road. Here's the second point. Thank you for being patient. We'll get through this. Are we okay, church? We can dismiss and we can come, all come back tomorrow evening and finish. <laughs> Are we good? And the woman hid a small measure of leaven in a massive 40, 50, 60 pounds of flour. How many know that's a lot of flour? She wasn't just baking a loaf of bread. Until it was all leaven. First point. This is the practical side of the message this morning. Sharp says this. That in this parable, the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven could not happen without the action of the woman. Here it is. The kingdom of heaven requires embodied human participation in preparing and kneading the bread of life. The kingdom of heaven is the leaven. But the leaven is introduced by the church by those who are following in the way of Jesus. That's you. That's me. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. Now, lest you be accusatory, turn to your neighbor and say, it's also me. Because we're pretty good at the church of saying, that's your responsibility. Now, the leaven is different from the dough, right? It's hidden in the loaf, but it's of a very different essence. It's different from the dough. And then it's introduced into the dough. Its power comes from its difference. Say that with me. Its power comes from its difference. When we no longer look different from the world, one of two things is happening. You know what they are? Either this, the whole world has been converted. When we no longer look different from the world, either the whole world has been converted. I mean, you believe that to be true. Or, we are no longer offering another version of life and reality to the world. Or as a black preacher might preach it, either the world has been converted or the church has been subverted. You know how they do that. The world's converted or the church is subverted. 
If there be no resistance to the version of life that we're offering and living out in the world, if we're not a threat to prevailing values and worldviews, perhaps we're not any longer offering the kingdom of God. If I'm not entering into the lives of those who are abused and addicted and not offering them another version of life, the prevailing version of their life, perhaps I'm not offering the kingdom. If I'm not walking into the lives of those who feel guilty and shameful and beaten down and not offering them another version of life, in reality, perhaps, I'm not offering. If I'm not walking into a world that is obsessed with its consumerism and its materialism, whereby more is never enough, and I'm not offering them another version of life, perhaps I'm not offering the kingdom. If I'm not walking into a world and living out a version of life that is different from the version that I get all I can get and enjoy my plenty even though it's more than I need while my neighbor doesn't have enough. And I'm not offering another version of life that counters that version of life. Perhaps I'm not offering the kingdom of God. And if I'm not entering into a beat-down world with a different version of life, which is a build-up world. If I'm not entering into a world of hate and competition and enemies with a version of life that is love and cooperation, perhaps I'm not offering the kingdom of God. Are you with me, church? And the woman did a small measure of leaven in a massive loaf until it was all leavened. This is the influence of small things. I don't know who you are, what your involvements in life are. I know me. But I know in the world's eyes, I'm kind of a guy of small things. How about you? We are a people, particularly my generation, has caused the church to be a people. Man, I apologize to God to this often. I apologize to the church this often. I think my generation, which is partly your generation, has in some ways ruined the church. For we are a generation. We are a people of the mass crusade. The show of lights and smoke and drama. The big Easter extravaganza. The marketing blitz. The billboards and the mailers. And all of that's well enough. And it's all good enough. I'm okay with it all. Most of the time, some of the time, a little bit of the time. I'll tell you why this old heart grieves at it sometimes, because sometimes it looks more like we're of the world instead of in the world, and because that is not in this parable what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom of God is like small acts of subversion carried on by the most unlikely of candidates. Do you know how unlikely it would be in that parable 
even though they're the bakers, that this would be a woman that is raised up in a patriarchal culture in which that parable was given. The kingdom is like the small acts of subversion carried on by the most unlikely of candidates, like you and I. The ordinary small things carried out by those who will simply say yes to the moment and to the call to introduce into life the leaven of the way of Jesus. I've heard Dr. John say it a hundred times. You just need people to say yes. The kingdom is like those who refuse to be defined by the prevailing version of life and instead choose to be solely defined by the kingdom of God version of life. To stand for by standing against anything that diminishes or distracts from the way, the truth, and the life which is Jesus. This is when the church is the church. And that's not too big for any of us. It seems small. Because it was it is. It is. It requires big courage, though. It's no easy thing to run counter to the prevailing current, to swim against the stream. It was small, but required courage when Jesus was walking about the Galilean countryside with this ragtag band of 12 disciples, proclaiming and living out a message that was offensive to the religious elite and their tight system of religious certainty, threatening to the empire of Roman culture and its values and power and dominance. It was small in the face of the influence of religious rule and small in the face of the power of the secular trendsetters. It was small in the face of the opposition of the religious elite and the empire of the Roman oppressors. But watch out. Hang on, church, listen. Watch out. Wait for it. Are you with me? Say it with me. Watch out. Wait for it. This small beginning, this small beginning will one day rule the world. Say it with me. This small beginning will one day rule the world. This small act of subversion, this simple act of remaining unstained by the world will one day rule the world. Someone said of this parable once, they said, listen, this parable is about quiet influence, the leaven hidden below. And someone else who knew more about baking said, have you ever seen leaven work? You all know, don't you? Some of you who do a little bacon. You put that leaven, you see it start to bubble up. It is this dynamic, vital, intrusive element within the dough. Listen, this simple act of remaining unstained by the world, bubbling vital, dynamic bubbling yeast in the dough of the world will one day rule the world. That's the parable. It was Frederick Dale Bruner who suggested the following. What this parable asks of the hearers then is confidence in the little gospel. Do you have confidence in the gospel? When you simply enter into someone's life in a very small way that no one will ever see, do you have confidence in the gospel? Here's what he goes on to say. I like this. You may not agree with it very much, but I like it. This quote you'll agree with because I love this quote. He said, the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. Isn't that correct? It's a way of saying, come against us if you wish. For this little gospel is an anvil that's worn out lots of hammers. And he goes on to say, sex and ideologies almost always seem stronger than the church. Almost always. Sex and ideologies fly and the church limps. 
Sex and ideologies rise and fall and the church limps on. And then he says, stick with the church. So here's my word for us. As we're getting ready to close. Hang in there, church. Hang in there, followers. Resist the temptation to withdraw into the safety of the cloisters of our holy huddles except for the necessary purpose of taking a kingdom look at the world, of reimagining what it would be if Christ were truly had supremacy in all things. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Resist the temptation to succumb to the enticing and self-enhancing version of life offered by the world. Resist the temptation of becoming of the world. Hang in there, church. We have a story to tell. Hang in there, follower of the way of Jesus. You're a part of a story much bigger than yourself. And you have a story to tell. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a story to tell. Go ahead. Tell the story. Live the story. Today. In a hundred small ways. Hang in there. Keep engaging. Keep saying yes to that still small voice inside of you. The daily small opportunities God places before you. Opportunities to offer and to live out another version of life. And then, and then wait for it. Say it with me. Wait for it. Watch it bubble. Wait for it. Observe this dynamic kingdom of which you're a part. Change things. Wait for it. Take confidence in this little gospel. For one day, it will rule the world. This is our hope. This is our life. This is the church. So let the church be the church. Let the church be most authentically the church. For to what shall I compare the kingdom of heaven? It's like leaven which a woman took and hid this great massive amount of dough until it was all left. Here's a prayer that was written by Kenneth. I don't know his last name. Well, I see it there, but I can't pronounce it. Let's just call him Brother Ken. Here's the prayer that was written by him. Listen carefully. I first read it, I thought it was written by a woman, but it wasn't. He says, Bread baking God, as you nourish us with the bread of life and the milk of your word, let your spirit hang an apron around our necks, fashioned and patterned like that worn by our Lord become friend, Jesus. Instruct us. Here in the halls of Your kitchen kingdom with the recipes of mercy and of forgiveness and compassion and redemption. Leaven our lives 
until they rise in praise, often blessed and broken for the healing. And the church said, of a good church,